0: Welcome to the Dealmakers Coffee Break where we talk to industry pros about their success stories, deals and market insights in just enough time for you to enjoy a cup of coffee. So grab your mug and join us for a chat with the people behind the deals. I'm Asaf Raz. Let's go. Welcome to another episode of the Dealmakers Coffee Break Edition. And today I have someone that we've actually been chasing for a while. Sorry for all the emails, Jeremy, but this is Jeremy Hill from JB Capital. He's been in this industry for over 21 years, maybe even more, recognized for his expertise in private debt, in the private debt industry. And I think going into 24, this is a very promising asset class. Jeremy, I'll let you take it away tell us a bit about yourself, your company, and we'll continue from there. All
1: right, my man. Good to see you. Thanks for the chase. And I'm glad it is that we get to spend a few minutes. So of course, I'll give you a a couple seconds on us and then looking forward to diving in and, and talking a little bit further. So I've got a company called JB Capital. I am the J and the B. So, you know, pretty good looking, but maybe not that smart if that's all we came up with on marketing, right? But uh, we had historically started as, you know, an investment bank and a capital markets advisor. We're really good at solving problems, and most of those problems had something to do with something to do with something to do with money. And when you're banking your rich uncle, you know, wouldn't call you back. You know, some guy told you to talk to us. And so, uh, in the early 2000s, when we started the business, we were doing predominantly real estate transactions that morphed into more asset-based securities, which turned into. Oh, goodness gracious, oh, corporate debt, security mm-hmm. stations, and a number of things, but really all focused on this kind of lower middle market. So a little bit better than a billion in transactions over that period of time, really in the in what we call the in-between, right? The, the, the stuff that's past the friends and family, mom and dad, rich uncle, round of raising money, but not yet to a point to where institutional capital can really afford to pay attention. And we just got really, really good at that. A few years ago, we started our first fund. We're now on fund three. And businesses continue to 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 grow and do good things, and we're both excited and scared of the market it is ahead, and and uh,
0: hopefully looking yeah. to do looking to looking to do good things that help some people and make some money along the way. So that's amazing, that's amazing. And I love I love uh, the history and the background and how you like literally doing like I feel like you're part time doing heavy like funds for different asset class investments, but also like distressed. And we'll talk about that if how do you how do you deal with distressed assets or distressed developers or GPs yeah. just because we are looking at the transfer twenty twenty-four, we are know what's coming. I believe this is going to be one of the biggest trends for, for next year in terms of, you know, debt strategies, exit strategies. We have about fifty percent of the market going into debt maturity this year in twenty-four. Right. So we're gonna have all those things to deal with. And knowing all that, I'd love to you first to cover what you think is going to happen in the industry, obviously, where we're, we don't know how to expect it exactly, but what you're seeing in terms of the trends, and then what is your strategy going into 24?
1: Oh, there's a lot to unpack there. So number one, what are we seeing and what are we thinking is going to, to happen, right? And then number two, what's our response to that? And how are we, you know, what, what are we doing internally? It is to plan for that. So I think what it is that we're hearing, and what we're continuing to to see is this kind of rise in interest rates. It is it's caused everybody to be uncomfortable across, you know, both business and personal areas of their life. We are hearing about this kind of impending a maturity cliff. It is, I think it's scheduled to start, you know, any day now, you know, the end of this year, beginning of first year through the end of 27. And so for those of you listening that are that are, you know, not reading every paper, it is that's out there, is that you've got roughly Two and a half-ish is what they're saying. Trillion dollars in basically commercial securities, it is that are coming due into a maturity wall. That if you know, you and I, Hassoph and Jeremy's two wise guys, you know, construction development, whatever it is that we are, right? We had a property, it is that we bought, invested, built, developed, whatever it is 10 years ago. Well, 10 years ago, we're in a three and a half percent, you know, kind of cost of capital. Now we're maturing into a world to where we're going to be seven, seven and a half, eight. So we're something different. And when you change the economics like that on a project, more often than not, they don't work, right? And so if we move into this world of kind of a maturity, now it's okay, what the hell are we going to do? If my cost of capital goes from X to Y, or if my car payment just went from 500 bucks to $2,000, well, shit, I don't know if I want that car anymore, right? That's a really expensive And so the big concern it is that people are having is both from a lender standpoint, an owner, investor, and developer standpoint, an LP standpoint, how is everybody going to be affected by that? And the reality is everybody is going to be affected by that. What's going to be the catalyst it is for that affectation, though, is going to be ultimately in how it is that the banks and the lenders and those holding that security respond. You're going to see Some banks it is that have the balance sheet and they're going to play the lender game of extend and pretend, right? There's a monster under the bed. I'm just going to pretend like he's not there and maybe he'll go away, right? And and we'll wait six months or a year or two or later, or I don't want to do anything, so let's just see what happens. There's going to be a lot of folks it is that don't have that flexibility. The lender, the investor doesn't have the balance sheet to do so. He he, he can't afford to keep something on his books that's either underperforming or non-performing or not performing at all. and they're going to be forced to sell what, under normal circumstances would be a good quality performing asset at either a discount or or something else. And so the reality is is I, I think it's probably half and half even if we have a you know whatever the number is, two and a half, even if we have a two and a half trillion dollar maturity cliff. It's not going to be all or nothing. It's not going to be all are going to completely go to hell and everybody's going to buy stuff at a yeah. discount. And it's not going to be every you know, bank and investor it is that says, you know what, we're just going to kick this can down the road. There will be extraordinary opportunities for folks. Yes, um, There are extraordinary opportunities that's going to be coming from an extraordinary amount of discomfort on somebody else, Right. Yeah. I mean, that's what it is that we're seeing. I think it is that it's different in my mind from what it is that we saw in the great financial crisis uh, in 2008 that was affected more around the world. Because I mean, we were at that period of time, it is the United States was basically, you know, putting whipped cream on dog crap and selling it as caviar to the rest of the world. Right. It's not, that's not, it's not happening like that anymore, but there is a real affectation of these interest rates. It is that are going to cause people some, some, Hate and discontent,
0: for sure. Yeah, and, and we did we did hear that some voices saying, yeah, it's going to happen in 23, whatever is not in a fixed rate mm-hmm. debt um, and has floating rate debts is going to fall quicker than than the others. And, and what we're seeing, what I feel like we're seeing right now are two things. I see this tug of war between sellers and buyers, right? There are people in the market with cash ready to deploy and they're just waiting because they understood what's going to happen, right? And then there's people that are holding the assets and they're used to a two years ago, one year ago price, they can sell it for, but when they'll get to the to the reality that the profit that there's no profit in the asset and it doesn't make sense to hold it anymore, they can't sell it for that price. Yeah, so I feel agree. like there's there's this tug of war, and I see that I actually hear that from brokers, who are saying I'm trying to both reduce rents and reduce the price of a sale for a building with the sellers and try to work with them to to come to a point where they can do it for lower. And right, and the GPs are just waiting. The investment firms that have money, they're just waiting. A lot of them, by the way, are also. I'm hearing a lot of land investments, long-term land investments. I'm hearing a lot of um, uh, triple net lease. A few things that can still work within this industry, but that's the one thing that I'm 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 seeing. And then the other things that I'm seeing is and di- different than 2008. In 2008, lenders and, and uh, borrowers didn't work together. It was essentially, you either pay me the money or I take the property and then the banks are like, wait, stuck with so many properties, I don't want to, I, I can't do any of them. And this is where I feel like here are things that are coming in. I'm seeing lenders going towards taking on better debt or or um, finding solutions together with the borrowers and getting better debt terms, making longer uh, refinancing options, right? To find a way for them to continue to run the deals because eventually a lender doesn't want a property, right? Um, yeah. How are you seeing this trend coming together, especially on the lender borrower side? I do think fundamentally it's exactly where you said. When you start, is there is
1: still a disconnect between investors and property owners? It is that are believing it is that they should still justify a price. It is that's eighteen months or twenty four months old. Well, twenty four yeah. months ago, weren't in the interest rate environment it is that we are at now. We're also not in in a, a you know geopolitical uncertainty that's affecting everybody around the world, right? And these are all different decisions. It is that people are not taking into context when they're trying to either well primarily when they're trying to sell their building investors buyers are absolutely taking that into effect saying it is you know interest rates gone from x to y here's what's going on around the world here's the uncertainty in the future and I'm going to price that in and that that chasm between your thinking and my thinking right kind of a thing mm-hmm. is 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 the bridge that I think people are going to be forced to come over i think the pressure obviously mm-hmm. Is going to fall more on those it is that need to actualize and realize capital, which is going to be the sellers. If I'm trying to buy a yeah. property and you and I are at a fundamental disconnect about what the price is, that's fine. I'll call you at the end of the quarter, yeah. right? It, it's not going to become less uncomfortable yeah. in the next yeah. little bit. That's kind of what it is that we're seeing there. And then Further evidence to that when we're beginning to see some of the largest guys from a, like we saw Buffett just move what, three or four big positions to cash like two weeks yeah. ago, something yeah. like, and for historically a big long-term investor for, to take some of his, you know, stable assets, it is that he's had forever and never, never moved to cash. Why would he do that? Well, he would, you know, my guess is, and I, again, there's plenty of people listening to this that are smarter than me, but. My guess is is that if you're moving to a world of cash, you see discomfort coming, which is going to equate to an extraordinary, you know, buying opportunity. Right. I mean, we you and I both know so many people that that did suck so extraordinarily well coming out of GFC, whether it was public equities, you know, in a market that went from, you know, what plus or minus twenty thousand down to seven. Mm-hmm. So you had buying into the public equity markets at seven that three or four, or five years later, we're back at 21 and they were brilliant. You were brilliant. It was cheap, right? You know? And so you went, it was free money. Yeah.
0: Totally. Yeah. 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 And I also see, this is funny, actually five hours ago, PRE news, uh, put out an article talking about, um, ex-Blackstone real estate boss, Chad Pike mm-hmm. and turning to the market right now with, uh, uh, uh investment firms to capitalize in current market opportunities. So we, I, I feel like this, this is constantly going to happen. We're going to see this happening again and again. So, are you you're gonna? Um, I assume you're going to continue to focus on the on debt, right? Specifically, yeah. or more in your core of your business. How would that look like? We're working with uh with the market right now, and with this these type of investment, new investment firms or existing investment firms looking to deploy cash. How would that look like for for new buyers or people that are kind of moving in the market?
1: Yeah. And so I think one of the things that we've seen over the last three or four months, and we'll continue to see over the next year, is everybody now is a distressed real estate investor. Right. You know, and so we're going to see a lot of those funds pop up in, you know, anxious anticipation of what is to come. Right. And, I think you'll see it continued, in my mind, and not to be a cynic, but I think you'll continue to see a, a continued consolidation of power. It is for the largest guys It is that will raise, you know, 75 to 80% of the money. And the rest of us poor schmucks like me, if it's all, be fighting it is for the balance of that 20%, right? But you're going to continue to see, you know, the Apollos and Carlisle and Blackrocks and these guys, it is continue to raise God's max of money and make a big dent in that market through kind of a consolidation of acquisition and power.
0: Is that going to be mostly mostly debt, mostly cash? You think these type
1: of deals? Yeah, I mean, it, it, they're not. They don't have any trouble raising money, is what it seems. It, it was interesting to me. Is um, Apollo had a SPAC that they had raised maybe a year ago, and yeah. that plus or plus or about five billion dollars it is that they weren't able to deploy that they ended up turning around and giving that cash back, which you know, for an asset manager to give cash back is you know, good. They, Opportunity that's better for them. You know, any of these guys, it is that you saw raising SPACs. And, you know, once it is that they had the money committed, they'd go buy something, even if it was a dog. Right. And so for them to turn money back, well, you know, again, somebody knows more about it than I do. But I think that there's going to be some extraordinary opportunities. You're going to be a bunch of guys that are focusing on distressed assets. I think the majority of people are going to be equity focused rather than debt focused. Um, For Mm -hmm. me, the way that I look at the world is I look at the world through a debt landscape. Doesn't mean it's right or wrong. It just means how it is that we view the world, and so when I'm looking at that, there's ways it is to to organize and structure debt to where you get equity level returns for for, but still having all of the protections of being a, a lender, right? And so yeah. one of the, the things that is that we've talked about before is I look at debt like a like a bit in a horse's mouth, right? So with that little you know eight ounce piece of steel, it is that's in a horse's mouth. I can control a two thousand pound horse, right? Mm-hmm. I can. Him up, slowing down, turning left, turning right, stick his ass back in the stable. It doesn't matter. I don't have to own the horse to control the horse. That debt is a function of maneuverability and and, and control. And yeah. so, if you do that correctly, then I like how it is that that is. So, for us in this market going forward, we have two sides of our house: a corporate credit side. It is to where we're investing and loaning into you know growing technology and healthcare and health tech and direct to consumer and professional services businesses. For your audience, our our real estate strategy really is isolated to multifamily and industrial assets only. I'm not a huge fan of, of office and retail and land development and ag. I know that there's strategies that work there. I just don't understand them and don't want to learn, right? Mm-hmm. So I just stay in my lane, multifamily and industrial. And when I'm looking there, we're looking at kind of preferred equity structures. Because what it is that we've seen is this, you know, general deleveraging across banks and agency balance sheets to where if the two of us, you know, two wise guys development, if we were gonna go buy something or build or develop or invest or otherwise, a year, year and a half ago, that was, you know, 70 to 72% leverage. If we had a big balance sheet that went to high 60s, mid sixties, low sixties, high fifties. Agency business, even for stabilized assets, is 50. Wow. And so now, even for the most experienced developers and sponsors with a good balance sheet. That's painful, man. Right? If you're bringing 30 bucks to the table and now you're bringing 40 or 45 or 50, it's not that you don't have, a lot of these guys, it's not that they don't have the extra capital, they do. It's just, it's tied up in the other 20, you know, developments it is that they own, right? And traditional banking is not, they're not that smart, right? They don't, and honestly, they don't need to be, right? You don't need to take too much risk when you're loaning paper at 6% money. Mm -hmm. So you're going to see a, A big continued move to the alternative capital marketplace, private equity, private debt, or otherwise. What we have known as alternative lending for the past fifteen years. Soon enough, it's just going to be lending. Banks are going to have a smaller and smaller part of that going forward. And so, um, I'm hugely bullish on what it is that we're doing, and what you guys are doing, and what a lot of your audience is doing in this private marketplace. I think there's a
0: there's a very long, successful road ahead. I'm excited about it. That's a great conclusion of this. And I have to keep us on the 20 minute rules. So here's the last question I always ask. I call it the shameless plug. This is where you get the opportunity to talk about your current investment opportunities, what you're working on today, reaching out to the audience to see if anybody's interested either in your services or you're looking for something specific. This is your place to, you know, really shamelessly say what you want. Oh,
1: shameless plug. I should have come up with a t-shirt or something. (laughs) Damn It you know really for us uh, you know two things we have a deficit to demand on capital we can conservatively probably put out a billion dollars a year um and we're not raising money that fast regardless of how good looking and smart i am we're we're not raising money that fast and so we're looking for some larger partnerships it is and so we've been to new york london and a couple places it is trying to figure out a different way it is to to do more with less i would say that that's one from an investor standpoint we've got an extraordinary organization uh, good technology backbone, audited returns from day one, like all the stuff it is that you want, we have, mm-hmm. From the developer standpoint and kind of partnership standpoint is people are looking for unique sources of capital. It is that can be flexible and catalytic to their efforts. And oftentimes one of the things that is that we've seen in the market, it is from sponsors is they have a very narrow approach. I've got vanilla ice cream. I'm going to sell it to everybody. It is that I want, even if you don't like vanilla ice cream, right? And so we like to be able to come in it is with, a, with a flexible mandate and how it is that we're structuring capital to make sure it is that we can have a positive affect on on you know Joe, the developer, builder, and investor, and help them get to their point B. So the shameless plug it is for us is we've got an extraordinary organization, but we're always looking for more money and better partners. And then from a, from a developer and borrower standpoint, if you want somebody that actually sits down, that needs to understand your story and help
0: you get to the finish line, where are your guys? Appreciate it so much, Jeremy Hill. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. It was great great. to share some time with you, buddy. Be safe. We are praying for you. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. Check out more episodes on the Dealmakers podcast available on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, and Agora's website at agorareal.com slash podcast. See you in the next episode.